Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Arabato with my co-host, colleague, executive producer, co-anchor. I thought when she was a kid and they were asking her, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm betting she did not say the executive producer and a co-anchor of the most popular leadership show in the nation. <laughs> did you, Mary? I, I definitely did not say that. I wanted to be in the Peace Corps. I don't know if I ever told you that, but... Uh... Thanks to my parents, they talked me out of that because it probably would not have uh, ended well. I, at the time and still to this day, I don't like a lot of variety of food and I probably would have gone over there and not eaten anything and it just would have been a disaster. So um, instead, uh, I, I may not be saving lives there, but I hope to think that uh, you and I are definitely helping people, giving them valuable leadership, communication, tips and tools along the way. By the way, to the Peace Corps right now, after Mary just dissed you, ready? I'm so sorry. I just want to <laughs> apologize to everyone at the Peace Corps right now. Uh, Mary said she didn't like your food. but No, no, but I'm saying the countries that I would have went to, I probably wouldn't have liked the food, but I could have actually made a difference somewhere. Well, Mary, my palate is much more sophisticated than yours. You know that I eat all kinds of exotic foods. and No? No, you don't. No. No, you don't. No, That's I'm how I knew that you and I... Yeah, you and I were going to be working out really well together because we, we each eat about five or six food and foods and live on those energy bars. That's it. And that's it. Don't, don't want to try anything new. No fish. Definitely no fish. We believe in innovation and change for everybody but ourselves when it comes to food. Say, Mary, why don't we do this? Why don't we plug our sponsors where we are? And then I'm going to talk about this Netflix book, which is all about innovation and change and reinvention, which is in the title of the book. Definitely. So we have some really great sponsors. Uh, we have the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Valley Bank, Gibbons PC, and Prager Metis. You can find us right now. I'm sure you're watching us on News 12 Plus, but you can also listen to our podcast on Spotify as well as Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And you can go to our website at stand-deliver.com to check out just really uh, all the great free, we have a bunch of great articles up there, resources. And I'd also love to give a shout out to our two new promotional partners, CIANJ and Commerce Magazine. So that's Commerce and Industry Association of New Jersey, as well as njonair.com. So I know it's a lot, but we have a lot of great people to thank. And by the way, we are big believers that if you don't partner with other folks and spread your word around and create different platforms and yada, 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 to quote the Seinfeld series, of course, Seinfeld, yeah, you can't get this done. You don't do it by yourself. So, Mary, I want to I want to talk about this Netflix thing. Uh, I want to thank my good friend, Dennis Pucci, who um, is a student of leadership. We, we play some golf together. And he said, hey, Steve, you do that leadership show with Mary Gamba. She's terrific. She carries you every week and I was like oh, I, don't need I know that, my Dennis. back hurts from carrying you on my shoulders all this time but yeah I told Dennis I didn't need that <laughs> part but he said to me why don't you get this book called No Rules Rules Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention Reed Hastings put it together with uh, Aaron Meyer co-founders of uh, Netflix and I mentioned this in one of our other shows where I'm going to talk about this a little bit because what Reed Hastings does right in the introduction she talks about this meeting that uh, Netflix had back in 2000 in Dallas, Texas, where uh, it was the home base of Blockbuster. Blockbuster at the time, to put this in perspective, um, Netflix was meeting with Blockbuster to try to pitch the Blockbuster CEO to purchase Netflix for the uh, price of $50 million. Now, Steve, we have to just press pause for one second here because there are probably some viewers right now who don't even know what Blockbuster is because they've been at it. You don't think so? I, I think really? 
I think so. I mean, you got to realize. Describe wanna... Friday night in, in New Jersey or any place around the country. Where were you going on a Friday if you wanted to watch a movie at home? Yeah, but I'm just saying, I mean, I bet you if there's, if we got some 20 and 30, 30-year-old 30 somethings watching, Blockbuster was a place that you would go and you would rent a VHS tape, yes, a VHS, and you would bring it home and you would put it into a machine to watch a movie. That's how we used to have to watch movies back in the day. But go ahead. I didn't and, want to interrupt. And by the way, but... if you were late, there was always a late fee that I had to always. pay all the time. Me too. So <laughs> here's what, Blockbuster was a $6 billion giant that dominated the home business industry. They had 9,000 rental stores around the world. And the CEO of Blockbuster, this guy, John Antonaccio, uh, Antiaco, I'm sorry, I screwed up an Italian name. Um, he was meeting with the people from Netflix. Netflix people were pitching saying $15 million. We'll do a Blockbuster.com, right? And that basically will turn Blockbuster.com to everything that Netflix wound up being. Netflix was struggling at the time. They had no money, not a lot of employees. And the CEO of Blockbuster laughed at him and said, no way, we're not giving you $50 million. You're not going to be around much longer. You ready for this? In 2010, Blockbuster had declared bankruptcy. By 2019, only a single Blockbuster store remained in Oregon, then more Oregon. Blockbuster had been unable to adapt from DVD rental to streaming. And Netflix goes on. You know the Netflix story. Not only is Netflix the place that many of us go, particularly during COVID and your home and go, what's on Netflix? They're always sending me an email. Hey, what's new on Netflix? They're working with directors like Martin Scorsese and others to create Netflix movies, Netflix series, not just distributing them, but producing and creating them. Point being, you're either going to innovate or you're going to die. And this Netflix book is so fascinating because it says they have a culture, get this, Mary, no bad ideas, put everything on the table. The hierarchy is not a linear kind of thing. Everyone jumps in and they need people on their team to come up with ideas to change and improve things, which I'm always complaining that I want our team to come up with more ideas. And there, sometimes I think, is our team waiting for me to come up with the idea? Block, excuse me, not Blockbuster, they're not around anymore. The Netflix people say that's not the culture that works. Talk to us, Mary. Yeah, well, you and I have talked about the fact that innovate or die is so true and just really finding new ways of thinking. But it's interesting. You talked about our team and uh, certain teams. And, and again, it goes to being leaders versus doers and innovators versus those who don't innovate. Some and can be both innovators and doers. Go ahead. They can be innovators and doers. But I, I'm interested to get your perspective on this. With our team, often you'll say, you know, I came up with this idea. I wanted you to come up with this idea first. And how yep. does that work? Where is that line between a leader, a CEO, a president of an organization? And sure, I think many times a team may look toward the CEO or the president. But where is that fine line between, okay, I do want to hear some things coming from the team versus from the top down, sort of speak? I don't think it's either. Or. Listen, there are ideas that I have that I put mm -hmm. out there. Some are pretty good. Some are not so good. And I need the team when they're not so good to push back and say, here's why there's a problem with that. But I'm going to tell you something. If any organization relies on one person for all the innovative ideas, all the creative things, it, listen, I'll, I get paid more than everyone else, which is why I'm supposed to be more creative, more imaginative, have a bigger picture view, be more innovative. But I'm trying to tell you, I don't care who the leader is, what the organization is, what the industry is. 
if those ideas are not percolating from everywhere, meaning the idea for lessons in leadership, the idea for our uncut series for on our not-for-profit company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, the idea to change the way we're doing what we're doing. All I'm saying is I want the team to say, here, Steve, we got this problem and I've been thinking about it and here's a possible solution. And here's what I often say, we have a great team. The great executors, they get things done. I'll put it out something and they'll go, yes, yeah, Steve, we're gonna do that. That's great. But I often feel that as good as our team is, here's what often happens. Steve, here's the problem, here's the situation. Conversation stops. My sense is the expectations. Now I'm supposed to go, oh, that's the problem. Let me think of a solution. I don't, I'm not that good. No leader is. Right. I'm and, saying, and I, I, yeah. go ahead. No, and I agree with you completely. I think that at every level of the organization, no one should ever go to the CEO with a problem without having a solution, even, even to be honest, if sometimes I'll have an issue and I'll go to you and I'll have a solution. And in my heart, I know it's not really going to work, but at least have something, have an offering to say, listen, this is the way we can go. I don't think it's really going to work, but it's really all I can come up with right now, but never, ever, ever go to your, the person you report to. And it doesn't even need to be the CEO of the company. It could just be your manager or somebody that you report to never go to them and say, here, here's my garbage. I need you to clean it up. That's not a good solution. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting Mary. Sometimes I think I've created the culture that, yeah, I'm the innovator in chief. Well, because well, okay. you do come up with a lot of great ideas. But, and but not you, all, Mary, mm -hmm. all I'm saying is, and I'll, I got a, uh, Scarlett just gave me a cue. He said, move on, we got to go. So here's, <laughs> which I'm sure he's getting from Melvin right now. So here's the thing. That's part of leadership, being the primary leader, the CEO. But it ain't enough. Sure. And all I'm telling, not just our people, but everyone, everyone out there listening, even if you're not the CEO, even if you're not the head of the department, your job is to come up with ideas and solutions and recommendations, even if the CEO or the leader, or the manager doesn't like it, put it out there. If you get knocked down and told bad idea, don't come up with it anymore, that's a crappy culture. I'm sorry, Mary. Uh, speaking of great leaders, we have Bernie Flynn on the show today, uh, who's also the former CEO from, of New Jersey Manufacturers. And also now he's the head of a not-for-profit, Mary, which is called? Uh, Mercer Street Friends. Yeah, they, uh, they're a social services organization. They're founded by Quakers and they focus on food, family and education, which right now in, you know, as we're taping this on October 6th, obviously COVID um, hopefully will be a thing of the past, but I doubt it's going to be for a long while. So they are doing tremendous. Uh, they're providing a tremendous service to people who need it, particularly in these challenging times. On the back end of the show, our good friend, Dr. Gene Kronaki, the president of St. Peter's University talking about the changing innovative world of higher ed, innovate or die there as well. A lot of the changes they're making there. He also talks about being more compassionate, more transparent, um, more empathetic with team members who are dealing with all sorts of issues. So Bernie Flynn on the top end, Gene Karnakia on the back end. I'm off my soapbox, my leadership <laughs> soapbox. Um, Mary, do you think our team watches this show? So um, I don't know. How about this team? If you see this, email me and we'll buy you a free lunch. Then we'll know. So right now, if I get that email, we'll buy you a free lunch. Yeah, we'll buy you a free lunch only if you come, with an, uh, come up with an innovative idea. I'm Steve <laughs> Adubato. Check out Bernie Flynn right now. Talking leadership with a guy who's been leading for a long time. He's Bernie Flynn, the CEO of Mercer Street Friends, which is a not-for-profit based in Mercer County, formerly the uh, CEO, the leader at New Jersey Manufacturers. Uh, insurance company. Bernie, how are you, my friend? 
I'm good, Steve. Good to see you. So here's the, here's the thing. You know, I've been, I called you years ago and said, Bernie, I've been thinking about this book, Lessons in Leadership, I wrote, and I want to spin it off into these different platforms. Now we created this video podcast, which is on News 12 Plus and a bunch of other platforms. Question, how has this global pandemic changed you as a leader? It, it has made me realize how important being present in people's lives, the family uh, and colleagues, work colleagues is. I, I mean, you, you, you have to make sure that you are engaged with those that you love uh, and that you're engaged with those that you work with, who you care about greatly, and that you're engaged also with those you serve. Uh, and, and you have to be present. And I think during this pandemic, the tendency has been that we, we, have, we have stayed in our cocoons. Well, Zoom and other means of communication that we have in this modern age enable us to stay engaged. And that's what's most important, I think, uh, during a time like this. Let me ask you a really practical question about that. There are some people I work with, you know I do a lot of leadership coaching and development, and there are some companies and organizations we work with that say, you know what? I don't want to force my people to be on video and we're in a Zoom call or go to meeting, whatever it is. And I said, what do you mean? Well, I want to give them their privacy. And my response is, let me get this straight. We're not in office anymore. We're not engaging and interacting personally face to face. But you think the level of engagement and involvement is the same if someone's on a phone versus we could see each other in the Brady Bunch box, if you will. I I'm obsessed with that. And some people think I'm wrong. What do you say? No, I. A, a Zoom call, a video chat is critically important because it is the next best thing to being in the room with someone else. And you can read body language, you know, over <laughs> over the Zoom call. Right, Steve? I, I you know can, I can see when people while. are bored during my meetings. Well, they might get bored during your meetings once in a while, but they get bored during my meetings, too. We have to deal with that. We can see them nodding off. That's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, uh, but it, but really, um, when you when you have the old fashioned conference call where you can't see anybody, um, it, it's not engaging enough. Um, I do give people a break, like, hey, I'll just call you, and we don't have to do a Zoom. That's uh, different. But that's different than what we're talking about, which is trying to recreate that personal interaction in the office, and and still Zoom and and the technology that's available to it to us is not as good as being in the office around the table. Uh, but it is the next best thing. So, you know, we have to push for that. One more quickie. There are some leaders that I talk to, they've been on Lessons in Leadership with Mary Gamba and I, who say things like, listen, I get this whole thing, Steve, you keep talking about innovation, adaptation, disruption, et cetera. But I just, I, I, I wanna wait till things, quote, get back to normal and we'll pick up our business. And I've often said to them, you don't have that luxury. The world's moving around you and you're gonna be out of business with your back against the wall yeah. and you're waiting for what? Now, Steve, there, there is no back to normal. There's the new normal. And leaders, most importantly, have to adapt. If we as leaders can't adapt, despite our you know, advanced ages and what have you, our technology. Oh, thanks, Bernie. You know, no, no, ours, <laughs> my, mine. I should have no, said I'll, I'll go with you. Go ahead. But as, as <laughs> listen, as old as we may or may not be, adaptation, innovation ain't a choice. It's a necessity. 
it, it, change is constant. Uh, that's the watchword. We have to we have to be prepared for it. And the best leaders and the best organizations, nonprofit or for profit, stay ahead of the curve. They're they're not they're they're not trailing behind. And that's what we have to do with our, our respective organizations. Stay ahead of that curve. Hey, Bernie, whether you and I are talking on the phone, offline, um, about leadership or doing it on Lessons in Leadership, I always learn from you, and I know our audience has as well. Thank you so much, Bernie Flynn. All the best, my friend. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership with Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba has been brought to you by Gibbons PC, the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ On Air, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership, Steve Adubato. We just heard a very compelling conversation with Bernie Flynn. We're about to go into a conversation with Gene Kanaki, Dr. Gene Kanaki, the president of St. Peter's University. Hey, Mary. You, I've never, have I ever talked to you about this book? I, I know, check out our website, stand-deliver.com. Uh, I know that Sylvester is gonna put up in post-production the uh, website. We have a lessons in leadership reading list. We sure do, yep, right on the homepage. And Evan Morris wrote this book on Edison. I would be lying to say I read it cover to cover, but I, found, I read enough of it. We're talking about innovation. We're talking about creativity. Get this, you're no, and you're gonna think this may have to do with technology and science, and it does. But talk about innovative leadership. This is from Edwin Morris, as he writes in the book, out of his teeming brain and ever mobile hands came the universal stock ticker, the electric meter, the jumbo dynamo, the alkaline reversible battery, the miner's safety lamp, slick, candy wrappers, a cream face, it just goes on and on. On and on and on and on and on and then we know the rest. Makes me feel insignificant with all those things. I haven't invented anything yet. <laughs> Edison doing, Mary, going back to how we started this show, they were not all Edison's ideas. They just weren't. If you read about the history of Edison, yeah, he gets credit. By the way, he's really good at branding. He was really good at putting his name out there. But man, did he have a team that sat around and constantly thought, what is a better way of building a mousetrap to use a cliche? Mary, do you really believe? This is the question. And, and I love our team and they're terrific. And, and I hope you are watching right now. We're going to send this to you. Do you think it's unrealistic for me or any leader to expect team members who are hardworking, dedicated, talented, just terrific, care deeply, to be innovative and strategic in their thinking to the point where they're constantly saying, hey, Steve hasn't brought this up. Mary hasn't brought it up. They do that leadership show. I've been thinking, what about if we did X? How about this? How about approaching it that way? Do you think that that's simply not realistic on my part? And I know I'm not alone because I talk to a lot of leaders who 
who often say they feel too alone, not totally alone, too alone in having to come up with too many ideas. Not, ex not all of them, but too many. Go ahead. I think it's extremely realistic for a leader to uh, not only expect, but also demand of their respective teams. How do you demand it? I think I do mean demand. You need to insist, you need to encourage, and as you do, there's not a week that goes by where um, I always call them teaching moments, and we don't have a teaching moment where you explain to the team, and, and that includes me as well, of, you know, I don't want it to be one way. I don't want it to be just coming from the top down, coming from me to you, the rest of the team. And you teach, and then you continue to encourage that communication to also go in the opposite direction. But being on the receiving end of it, I, I do understand part of it is that we all get into our working silos. We all get into our, you know, as you know, we're taping today, it's, you know, uh, whatever time it is, and there's a million emails coming in and a million proposals that need to go out and a million, you know, you and I, the list can go on and on and on. And Operational and tactical, got it. An exactly. organization must have that. I'm talking about mm -hmm. the stepping back and going, yeah, hmm. but that takes time. That That's not as simple and nothing is as simple as, it's not to say that ideas cannot still flow if we're busy. And I know we talk about activity over impact and no one pushes back more on that than I do. When you come to me with an idea and I, I just push pause and I say, no, like it cannot, if you expect us to continue our organization forward, these other things that don't seem very time consuming are time consuming need to get done and let's focus on those first. So I always say first things first. Hold on one second, Mary. I'm gonna push back on that. Mm -hmm. You push back enough with me. So here, here's all I'm saying. There's a psychology to this and I've talked to enough of the leaders about this. So if in fact, most of the innovative creative ideas come from the CEO, not all, many mm -hmm. do come from the staff. My view, not enough, not just right. on our team, but everywhere. Mm -hmm. When I do say, hey, listen, I've been thinking, what about if we adapt it and create and do it this way? And the first reaction on the part of too many team members on ours and others is we can't do that. Right. Why, why can't we do that? That's, that's not the way it's done. It's not. And I argue if we really believe that the status quo is not an option, then put it out there and try it unless you think it's a terrible idea. And that's not what's being said. What's being said is well, that's not the way we do things. Standard operating procedures have the reason they exist is to avoid chaos. The world is in chaos. And I'm arguing those SOP, standard operating procedures, that's the way it normally works. They are obstacles to innovation. And I'm not very patient with that pushback because my thing is put it out there, ask, let's try, try to find out if we hit a brick wall a couple of times, you stop, I got it. But don't come back with no, that can't be done. Because then for me, or any leader as the chief innovative officer, he or she sits there and goes, oh, wait a minute. If I'm coming up with more of the ideas and you're hanging back waiting, but your primary reaction is no, we can't do that, that's frustrating. No, and I understand that, I really do. And as I said, I think as a team overall, I think we've all continued to grow and evolve in that direction. Not just about our team, it's any team. Mm -hmm. And I, I see that more and more as we're talking about Netflix and we're talking about uh, just everything. It's the majority of what we're seeing in the world today. And because many of us were forced into it because of COVID and because of the disruption in our lives, and it's learning new ways of doing things and it's adapting and innovating. So I agree with you completely. There definitely needs to be more across the board with all organizations of 
hey, because that one great idea could be the next thing that can really go places. That being said, uh, I want to thank our team for being terrific, hardworking, dedicated, and wonderful. Uh, Mary, are we throwing to Jean or are we done with Jean? Yeah, no, we're going to throw to Jean right now. So whatever Throw to it, Mary, go. Yeah, definitely. In just a few moments, you're going to be able to see uh, a great interview that you, Steve, did with Dr. Uh, Jean Kornakia, the president of St. Peter's University. So uh, stay with us, and uh, we'll be right back with him. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Mary and goodbye. I are saying goodbye. We're going to innovate <laughs> after this. See you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Lessons in Leadership is pleased to welcome Dr. Eugene Kornacki, who's president of St. Peter's University. Uh, ready to talk leadership, Gene? Sure. You've been on Lessons in Leadership several times, but we're doing this program at the end of the summer, 2020. We've talked on our public television programs about a lot of the changes being made and these, the future of higher ed dramatically different. I'm gonna ask you a question I've asked you before, and it may not get the same answer. <laughs> What's the biggest leadership lesson you have learned as it relates to COVID getting close to five or six months in as we're doing this? Yeah. Uh, the biggest lesson I've learned is that uh, you have to be even more transparent and more compassionate with people because this is, these are difficult times, of course. And in ordinary times, you know, you have one style of leadership, but in these kinds of challenging times, you have to go the extra mile to connect with people to be authentic. You know, I've done a lot of uh, town hall meetings with our community. And honestly, um, sometimes I get asked a tough question and I have to say, you know, I really don't have the answer to that right now, but we'll find out because people wanna know that you're, you're real, you're authentic. You're not just gonna give them an answer that really isn't based on, on facts or on, on knowledge. You know, it's so interesting you said that because there are a whole range of leaders that I've interviewed for this series that Mary Gamma and I have interviewed. And also, you know, I do leadership development coaching and a whole bunch of leaders have said, I don't like to say I don't know because it shows a lack of confidence and um, I don't want people to lack confidence in me, but I don't see it that way. I see it as someone being confident enough to say, I don't know. Go ahead. No, I feel exactly the same way. And I, I tell my leadership team the same thing that ultimately uh, it's our responsibility to get the answers and, and move the institution forward, right? And we have to be honest with ourselves. What we know, what we don't know. People want to hear that. You know, they want to know you're authentic, that you're human, and that you're not perfect, and you don't have all the answers. Because someone who gets up there and says, I know everything, uh, uh, you know, I know more than anybody else in the universe, uh, really does not inspire confidence. People know that's phony and it's not true. There's another side to this. Uh, you and I have also talked about public officials and some corporate folks. I mean, I'm sure some people in higher ed and in the media who have a very difficult time simply saying these three words. <clears throat> I was wrong. Go ahead. I say that. I won't say I say it often, but I have said it. I do. <laughs> I've also said, also said to people, I am sorry. And that has a huge... Hold, hold on, Gene. Stay right there. You ready? See this button? <laughs> Can you see it on camera? Hey, Gene, I have this right here. It's 10 different ways to say I'm sorry. No, I, I digress. It. Go ahead. I love it. No, seriously. Uh, you know, if you make a mistake or you, you misstate something and, and you get caught on it, you know, you just have to say, you know, I am really sorry. You make a bad decision, I am sorry. That goes a long way to make people feel better and to have confidence. Why do you think it's so hard for so many, including people sometimes in the highest position 
in certain sectors? Yeah, well, ego, number one, I think. <laughs> and look, we could look at the trash heap of American corporations led by brilliant CEOs that are now near, you know, life support. And they just couldn't or wouldn't say, I'm sorry, my wrong. bad, I was wrong, let's restart, let's right. whatever, and they hold on to it. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, last question before I let you go. Optimism is, or being optimistic is an interesting leadership issue. And the balance between being realistic, telling people tough news, you handle a diff very difficult fiscal budgeting issues, we do as well in our nonprofit and public broadcasting with the Caucus Educational Corporation. What's the balance, or how do you strike a balance between being optimistic on the, for the future of St. Peter's University, but also being incredibly realistic about how tough things are? Yeah, it, well, you know, it's not an easy balance, but I think it gets down to your belief in the mission and your belief in the people that you have around you supporting you. And if you have a good team, as we do, and you have a great community that supports us, you can have that kind of optimism, uh, especially, you know, one of the things for me that uh, kind of gives me hope for the future are my students. I see them, I see how hard they work, I see what they struggle through to get their education, and you know, they're just, they're the reason for all of this. Well said. Dr. Gene Kranaki, president of the great St. Peter's University. Hey Gene, thanks so much my friend, we'll see you soon. Pleasure. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ On Air, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine.